You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. He bore your sins and mine in his own body, on the tree, on the cross. Every wrong thing you and I ever did, he was blamed for it, on the cross. He took the rap for it, on the cross. He took the judgment for it, on the cross. The word for healed is talking more about spiritually than it is physically in this context. Spiritual healing, he forgives your sins. He restores your soul. He redeems you from destruction. When you choose to immerse yourself in God's truths, His timeless truths, do you ever break free from the world's lies? In today's message, Pastor Jeff urges you to leave the world's falsehoods behind for good. God's truths will always serve as a guiding light, offering clarity in a world full of deception. Regardless of the cultural narratives that surround you, God's grace will always stand as an immovable foundation. Let God's word be your compass, guiding you towards an eternity with Jesus. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 as he continues his message, Your Separation. God is a God of law and order. God gave, listen, all the good laws came from the Bible. They may not want to say it, but all the good laws came from the Ten Commandments, the laws of Moses, all the good laws. So he's telling us, and I want you to track with me and hang with me because I know what you're thinking, but what about when they're all wrong? Stay with me. But their purpose, ideally, originally in God, civil authorities were given by God to restrain sin and evil from manifesting and destroying a culture. That's why it was given. God gave civil authorities. So first, we're to submit to human laws. He says, every ordinance of man. Why do we do it? He says, for the Lord's sake. Now, this verse would not preach well in our culture right now. If I went on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSLSD, I mean MSNBC, um, I wouldn't probably get the verse finished before they cut me off. Because we're filled in America now with lawlessness. Marches, protests, demonstrations, mass campaigns of civil disobedience. Uh, Our country is absolutely filled now with a lawless attitude and rebellion against God's order. I saw a YouTube today, this huge, I mean, pack of teenagers all covered up in their face and all of that, stormed a restaurant. There had to be 30 of them and destroyed it. Just destroyed it and ran away. Lawlessness. No concern whatsoever for authority. In other words, hating authority. Despising authority. The word submit here, the word to submit to the authority is a Greek military term regarding the rank and file of an organized group of soldiers. They may not like their orders or even agree with the orders, but they say, yes, sir, and they do it with a good attitude. 
because they understand authority. Our nation no longer understands authority or honor for the age. Do you know I was reading in my Through the Bible in a Year devotional that one of the things that God told Moses to teach the people of Israel, teach the young people, when somebody aged walks in the room, you stand up. Oh, that'd go over big. Pick your high school and go in there and teach that. They want the older to stand up for them. But no, he said, I'm teaching you respect, which will save your life. He said, when they walk in, when the gray-headed walk in, hallelujah, I want you to stand up. Stand up. God taught honor. He taught respect. Gong in America. We don't have a king, but we've got a president. And we've got civil authority underneath him. And they're to be obeyed as long as they don't require you and I to sin. And that's when you practice civil disobedience as a believer. Now, track with me carefully. I'm not telling you to go out and rebel against authority. But remember, when Peter and John and the disciples were commanded not to preach in Jesus' name anymore, they said, we must obey God rather than men. If authorities came in tonight and said, Wickwire, you can't preach Christ anymore. Say whatever you want, but don't preach Christ. I'd have to disobey this Sunday. As long as it's reasonable and doesn't defile my conscience or require me to sin against my God, I obey civil authority. Daniel is told in uh, Babylon, don't pray anymore. You can't pray to anybody but Nebuchadnezzar. If you're seen praying to anybody but Nebuchadnezzar, uh, then you're going to be thrown into the lion's den. What was Daniel willing to do? What did he do? He went home and threw the shutters open. He didn't close them and pray in secret. He threw the shutters open. And he said, I'm going to pray three times a day like I always have because I must obey God rather than men. And his enemies were watching him right through the open windows and he got thrown into the lion's den. But I ask you, who was preserved and who finally got eaten up alive? Daniel was preserved, but the men that tried to get him eaten up alive, they were thrown in and they got eaten up alive before their bodies hit the bottom of the pit. But again, Daniel practiced civil disobedience. I can't, there is no way I can obey you telling me to not pray to my God. Remember, the emperor Nero was wreaking havoc in the church, imprisoning, murdering God's people when the church was birthed, but Peter and the church led no revolt against him. They put together no marches. They didn't call for any violence or overthrow. They turned him over to God and Nero at 32 took his life. It's not that we shouldn't, and I wanna balance this out. It's not that we shouldn't make our voices heard in upholding righteous values, we should. This whole thing, don't get involved in politics. That is so crazy. 
Where are you getting that? Stick with me for a minute. Why did John the Baptist lose his head? For getting involved in politics. He told Herod, you ought not be married to that woman. It's not lawful. And that's how he lost his head and lost his life. Standing up to, to authorities, preaching the word to them. No, we're to stand up for values. It just so happens that a lot of biblical values have made their way into the political arena. Abortion, transgenderism, the gender confusion, um, same-sex marriage. All these things have made their way into the political arena. But just because they're in the political arena doesn't remove them from being a biblical issue. So if you and I, in a, in a country where you can vote, have a right to vote for a godly value, you're telling me I shouldn't go vote for a godly value? No, it's one way that we're salt and one way that, that we're light. Well, then which are you, Pastor Jeff, a Democrat or a Republican? I'm a Christian. And I'm going to look for whoever is standing for biblical values the most, and that's where I'm going. Peter, and by the way, Jesus called Herod a fox. Uh-oh. Okay. Peter explains why we must submit to those in authority over this. Why? For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, but not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. So we're to be a law-abiding people so that those who would want to slander or accuse us are put to silence. Greek word, muzzled. They're muzzled. They want to be able to find something on you. If you're living a godly life, they come up short. They can't find anything, so they're muzzled. And the word ignorance, he says, put to silence the ignorance. Uh, uh, that means culpable, self-imposed ignorance. In other words, willingly stupid. <laughs> willing ignorance. I, I see the truth out there, but I'm willingly remaining ignorant. The word foolish, put to, ignorance of foolish men, means senseless ones. So put together, the phrase means willfully culpable, senseless fools. So Peter says that when we obey the law and live uprightly, the willfully culpable, senseless fools who want to slander us won't find anything they're looking for. Have you seen a few willfully culpable, senseless fools out there in the last week or two? Yeah. He also exhorts Christians to never use their liberty in Christ as a cloak for vice. Don't say to yourself, well, I'm set free in Christ. I can do whatever I want. No, that's greasy grace. That's sloppy agape. No, here's the deal. Liberty is not the freedom to do what you want to do. It's the power to do what you ought to do. Amen. That's freedom. So say this with me. Freedom is not the power. Or let me back up. Say it again. Liberty is not the freedom to do what I want to do. But it's the power to do what I ought to do. See, God gives me the power to live a righteous life but he didn't save me so I could go party hardy now that I'm covered in grace. No, right? People say, oh, I believe in Jesus while they're headed off to the nearest drunk tank. No, let me tell you something. If you're saved, you'll change your life. 
okay? Verse 17 is all about how to respond to men and to God. He says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Uh, So Peter says, honor all men, no matter their color, class, or creed. We're to honor them because they're God's creation. We do this by seeing them through God's eyes. We see them through God's eyes. Who loves all men. He loves all men. Even the ones that we don't like at all. God loves them. He says, and love the brethren. And fear God and honor the king. Now, I already said it, but just a minute longer. Honor is a lost virtue. It's seen in so many ways in our culture. If we don't like a person in authority over us, uh, we despise them. We even hate them. We undermine them, criticize them, attack them. But the person who understands honor knows that you can honor a person's God-ordained position whether or not you honor the person. If I get pulled over tonight, God, please don't confirm this. But if I was to get pulled over tonight and an officer came up to my window, let me see your license and insurance. I am not going to say to him, first, tell me how you treat your wife. Are you good to her? And if you can tell me you're good to her, you pass a few more litmus tests on my part, I'll show you the license. But until then, I can't honor you. No, I honor the badge and I honor what they represent because there's a lot of imperfect, you say, well, there's all kinds of imperfect cops. There's imperfect preachers. There's, listen, there's bad preachers, bad cops, bad doctors, bad CPAs, bad lawyers. There's bad everybody. But that doesn't mean you got to do away with the whole thing. Peter even takes it further. I don't like what he says, but I'm going to read it. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Now, I'm going to tell you, employees, be submissive to your bosses with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle who give you regular raises, but to the harsh. I didn't write that. Peter did. Nobody likes the thought of submitting to a harsh boss. I don't, right? I've had harsh bosses, didn't like them, didn't want to do a thing they said, because after all, they're not winning my affection. But they were there to give me a check, give me a job, not to make me like them. The idea is as long as you're there, do your best to maintain a submissive spirit, even if the boss is harsh, because that's the spirit of Christ. What does it say about Jesus? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Now we live in a free capitalist society where you can leave one job and go to another one. And amen, it's a good thing. Uh, So this verse is not advising well, stay there, you know, in a miserable situation the rest of your days and be submissive. But it's saying, as long as you're there, reflect the spirit of Jesus with a submissive spirit. And just do your best to do your job. Keep to yourself. If you want God to open another door, pray for it. Go seeking, asking, knocking, and find one and make the move. But until then, don't hurt your testimony. 
Peter next deals with unjust suffering. Verse 19, one of you might have to suffer even when you have done nothing wrong. If you think of God and bear the pain, if you think of God and bear the pain, if you're suffering for doing right and not wrong, if you think of God and bear the pain, it pleases God. But if you're punished for doing wrong, there's no reason uh, to praise you for bearing the punishment you did wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and you're patient, this pleases God. If you're patient, let's say you have to like it, let's say you have to revel in it. If you're patient, while God makes the necessary changes in your life. So if a Christian is employed in a place that requires him to do something against his Christian conscience, you don't do it. Out of conscience towards God, you must refuse. This refusal sometimes brings suffering. They want you to do something against your Christian conscience and you refuse and Retaliation is made against you for refusing. So you're suffering for doing what is right. The Bible says, if you do good and suffer patiently for it, this is commendable before God. You're, you're, you're suffering under a load patiently if or until God makes a change, okay? It's not an easy thing to suffer for doing what is right, but let me tell you, Jesus is our prime example. The Bible says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He didn't do anything wrong, ever. And yet, he became sin for us, suffered on the cross for us, so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Uh, Jesus suffered supremely for doing what is only good. And he's in our, our example. Peter says in verse 21, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Follow his steps. Amen. He suffered for doing what is right and good. And we're to be willing to follow his steps. Pay a price for your faith if need be. Amen. Who committed no sin and there was no deceit found in his mouth. Jesus is our example in suffering for doing what is right. Peter says, he suffered for us. He suffered for us. He suffered for us. One of my favorite commentators, John Phillips, writes this. I just got to read it. It's so eloquent. But he said, we picture him, Jesus, light years before time ever began, dwelling in unapproachable light, dwelling in perfect harmony with the Father, and the Holy Spirit in indescribable glory. He was uncreated, self-existing, co-eternal, co-equal, and co-existent with the Father and the Spirit. He was God the Son, the second person of the triune Godhead. His wisdom was infinite, his power without measure. He existed in unimaginable glory and bliss, yet he suffered for us. Phillips continues, in the council chambers of eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit agreed that they would act in creation. The Son was the active agent. He made all things, John 1, 1 to 3. He exerted his wisdom and his power 
and galaxies of stars sprang into being and filled space with billions of sources of light. Planet Earth, a bright blue sphere in the Milky Way, was chosen to be the home of man. Jesus proceeded to command countless forms of life into existence and his crowning creation was man. And this creator, Jesus, is the one who suffered for us. Hence, because Adam sinned, the creator must become the Christ. This mighty Messiah stepped out of glory to be born of the Virgin Mary. He further condescended to becoming servant of all and condescended even more to finally die on the cross where he took our sin upon himself. He suffered for us. Peter said in verse 21, we're to follow his steps regarding submission. Verse 22, he details the total innocence of Jesus. He never committed a sin. He never told a lie. He's completely innocent. God, man, died on the cross for you and me. That's just astounding. It's amazing. It's incomprehensible. But it's true. Verse 23, Peter says, here's Jesus' response to being wronged. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. I've leaned on that verse so many times. The word for revile here is so strong, it means to rebuke, but it also means to abuse. It's telling us our Lord was constantly verbally abused by the Pharisees and religious leaders. Get ready for this. Here's what they told him. They accused him of being born out of wedlock, a child of fornication. They accused him of being demon-possessed a false teacher, a false prophet, being full of the devil. Jesus did not retort in kind, nor did he ever threaten revenge. Now, why did Jesus not defend himself? Because he knew his case was in higher hands. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. And we're to follow his steps. Let me give you a moment of transparency. I have over the years, left all kinds of things that have been done to me, primarily in ministry, in the hands of God, who judges righteously. And I find peace with that. Either on this earth or at the judgment, he will handle it. And I have to leave it there or I couldn't go on. He closes, we're coming to the close now who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Say with me, if I was, I am. For you were like sheep going astray. How many of you can say that's right? But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He bore your sins and mine in his own body on the tree, on the cross. Every wrong thing you and I ever did, he was blamed for it on the cross. He took the rap for it on the cross. He took the judgment for it on the cross. The word for healed is talking more about spiritually than it is physically in this context. Spiritual healing. He forgives your sins. He restores your soul. He redeems you from destruction. In today's message from Pastor Jeff, 
He shared about avoiding separation from God by remaining steadfast in His Word. Immerse yourself in the transformative experience that unfolds when you anchor your faith in the consistent study and application of His teachings. Discover the resilience that comes from staying true to God's witness. As you navigate the challenges of life, let the steadfastness of His Word be a constant source of strength. Hi everybody, this is Pastor Jeff Wickwire from Hardwired, and I've got something really special to share with you. For a gift of $20 or more, we're gonna send you a beautiful Hardwired pen and a bright LED flashlight with an attached keychain. It's blue in color and bordered in copper and it's very pretty. It's our gift to you for supporting Hardwired. The set also contains a built-in stylus for your touchscreen devices. So to claim your gift set, visit our website at hardwired.org and just donate $20 or more. Click the Donate Now button in the top right corner. And thanks so much for being a part of the Hardwired family. And I assure you, Every dollar that comes in is going to go straight to reaching the world with the Word of God. Have a blessed week. In his next message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that if you want to discover yourself, do it through the pages of God's Word. We all go through times of change, whether that's becoming a teenager or experiencing a midlife crisis. Discovering your true self within the pages of God's Word is the only way to find yourself. Don't let the noise of the world get to you and remain committed to the truths of the Lord. Let God's Word be your guiding beacon. Thanks for taking time to be with us today as we studied God's Word. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Jeff, visit hardwired.org. On behalf of Pastor Jeff and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again right here on Hardwired.